You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Rachel Ashibagofe Ikeme, the project director at the Southwest Niger Delta Forest Project. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. There is no question we are in a state of conservation emergency. And I found myself before we started the work we're doing currently. Two of those projects are trying to save one, an endemic species that only occurs in Niger Delta in Nigeria. And the other is also a recently discovered unique form of chimpanzee in southwestern Nigeria. So in those two cases, we have a real situation on our hands. And it's so fragile that if we take a step back right now, we could say goodbye to this species and to their forest. It's that fragile, it's that sensitive kind of work we're doing. And so we got into it at the point in time when it was literally at the brink of extinction. The forests were at the brink of disappearing forever. And I witnessed that for myself. I worked in some forests, say, back in 2007, 2008, 2009. And I roamed this forest. I started off as a conservation researcher and I was really thriving in my element there as a researcher. And I was happy to produce this data and give people. My intention was never to become a conservation practitioner that I am today. So it was this same agency we're speaking about that made me to step in. Like there was just nobody else that was willing or was ready to go into all the sites and do this work we're doing right now. Personally, in my own mindset, I was very hopeful that things would change because I had seen things, like I said, look so bad. I had seen, for example, being in a place, collecting data on some species and going back the following year to just update this data I've collected on species on the forest and get there. And then it's already turned into a village settlement. So it's that kind of rate of conversion of forest or disappearance of forest that we're talking about year in, year out. So what was forest today was a village tomorrow. It was a mess and the prospects were not looking very bright. And I think that leading on to winning some of these conservation awards and just getting all this recognition was a testament to, like I said, that that was why I was very happy I got into conservation. I really didn't know much about conservation. I didn't even think there were awards attached to conservation. I didn't think there was any recognition that comes from it. But I started out and knowing that there was a situation at hand and it was a huge problem, a dangerous problem in a country like mine. Really, I think at the back of my mind, I felt it would be really difficult for me to go to bed and know this problem exists and not do anything about it. I'm still that professional who would prefer to play safe, who would prefer not to do what I'm doing right now. Shake the tables like some people we call it or just just start agitating for a cause or for a purpose. So even at this point... I still feel a bit of anxiety and a lot of self-insecurity. I mean, I'm not so confident in myself. It's to the extent that I feel like at every phase, I'm willing to go further. I'm willing to continue on in this. It's a difficult step every step of the way. It's very, very difficult. It's challenging. One of the lessons we're learning is that where the problem is with people, because like I said earlier, it's either species or people. So one of the things we're learning is that people can really be transformed. We saw that in real life, like how a community can be transformed totally to the point that an entire community has become conservation champions themselves. So knowing that people can turn 360 and just really become 
the protectors of the same species they try to wipe out. So it's having faith in, in people that I would say that's where lies the potentials or the propensity to really change a very, very dire situation. And so when you as a stranger come in and someone who, who's not native to the environment and come in and start preaching conservation, you're automatically branded as somebody who wants something to get something out of them. Like, oh yeah, it's one of those people selling us cock and bull stories just to take our lands, to take our resources and all of that. And it's not just for places like in the Niger Delta. I mean, anywhere in the world where people are not, shall I say, formally trained to understand what we understand in terms of the ecosystem and how animals or plants or the forest plays a role in our own health. When that formal knowledge is lacking, it's really, really hard to transfer that to another human being and let alone a community of people. Also talking about people in the political class who should make the decision to safeguard these places or wildlife. So people talk a lot about conservation education and they do that in schools, recruiting young people. But on our part, we're realizing that the young people we have won't grow up to see any biodiversity left in the country if we don't educate the political class. So we found ourselves teaching basic conservation education to people who are in government, people who are very well educated in other fields, who have power, who have positions. I can't say there was a formula in which we implemented that made it happen for them to, for the results we're getting now. But I can say for a fact that being sent, being called was very, was one of the major, shall I say, elements or tools that, that helped us to get to where we are right now. And it's, and it's in really allowing them to see for themselves what those benefits are to conserving. And I think that was one of the things that has helped to sustain the efforts we have because now that animals are being conserved, these areas are being conserved, they are seeing for themselves that of a truth, the benefits only accrue to them themselves. <laughs> they themselves who live close to the wildlife and they see it for themselves. They see it in clean waters, having clean rivers, having more fish stock, having more of those resources that was already diminishing. And it's in these practical, positive outcomes that they see in real time. That's when lies the transformation that I was talking about earlier. Maybe some places are not as hard as others. But for us in those seven years, it's really understanding how these people think, what are their histories and their experiences, and then taking that into consideration. I think one of the most important things in navigating traditions and cultures is in respecting people's beliefs. So I think it's always better, like I said, even with that, even arming yourself with that reality to discuss with them, you still need a perfect understanding of how they reason. You really need to be with them as in dwell amongst them long enough to be able to understand every angle in which they're going to bring in argument and then be able or be prepared to be able to counter those arguments or bring alternative ideas or solutions to whatever it is they want to discuss. So I think one of the things that really helps is just really to be in tune so much with them as people and identify with them. I think that's participatory process of seeing yourself like one of them, then it's made easier.
yeah, to be able to change mindsets and to transform their minds about any issue. The people who would have been culprits of whether destroying the habitats of the species or killing the species, those same people are left outside of the process of protecting the species. So you can't do it outside of them. But when you are trying to change things, you also actively have to make sure they are participating in the entire process. From the time it's been thought through to the time it's been implemented and to the time it's been evaluated, they are, they are part of the process. So once that happens, the transformation occurs naturally within that circle. And so those same people who are part of the process are become ambassadors and become champions for those same species you're trying to you're trying to protect. So that's how I think how it ought to work in every conservation situation or biodiversity conservation situation. For us, that's where we've seen the best results. That's where we've seen the most progress. I know that even elsewhere in the world, if they implement conservation even in the same manner, it's guaranteed to have better results than an alternative way of trying science. I mean, there are different ways of trying to get things done. I mean, you could get soldiers to go into a place, protect the place, kick the people out and do all of those things. Those things has worked in the past or they've done it in the past, but they were not able to be sustained. And I've also heard of people come up with very technical step-by-step details of how things ought to go and leave the people out and leave communities, indigenous communities out of that same process. And another experience was once in, in one of the communities where we work, I remember we were asking a young boy, he was just about 12 years old. And one of my team members was asking, what would you like to be when you grew up? And he pointed at me and said, that's what I want to be. The reason why this is, this has come full circle for me is because when I started out as a female doing conservation, going to these communities, I don't know, I think maybe it's maybe typical African societies, but at that time it was even like I was disrespected <laughs> for being out there doing what I was doing. Like, is it that you're not married? You don't have children? What are you doing in the middle of the forest saying you're looking for monkeys? I was disrespected or just really looked down on for doing the work I was doing. And a typical Growing up young boy or a young man wouldn't look up to a woman for anything whatsoever. It would be condescending for him. But at this stage, I would see myself now being a role model for a young man, for a young boy. It's an experience that will live with me forever because I realized that not only are we bringing species back from the brink of extinction, but we're changing the way society thinks. And makes me glad that if I hadn't been persistent, if I hadn't kept at what I was doing, I probably wouldn't have gotten society to come to this stage where a woman could be a role model for a young boy, especially in an African society. I really wish every single young person have it within themselves to be the change maker to be the transformer, to lead initiatives that would change the world. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.